Okay, um, so hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the Utility Strategy Podcast, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Glenn Fox. Uh, Glenn has been in the industry for 36 years. Uh, he's worked with some pretty big names on some pretty high-profile projects. Uh, in other words, Glenn has seen a lot, uh, some of which he will hopefully share with us today. Um, so. Uh, Glenn, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good. Thank you for having me. Good. Um, so Glenn, uh, right off the bat, what do you think is the biggest challenge, challenge that our industry is facing at the moment? Uh, I think the biggest challenge is finding qualified people. Um, unfortunately, the talent pool is very shallow. Uh, a lot of the times we have to draw from folks in the one call world, and that's Certainly not a folk, not a knock on the one call folks, but it's just a different mindset. So trying to reprogram these guys uh, can be very difficult. And, and there's no there's no good. Uh, a lot of these folks are not on LinkedIn or in places that are easily accessible to those of us who, who are looking for good field people. What do you think we should we should be doing as an industry to the challenge to tackle this issue? Well, one thing that's happening is UESI is working on a, um, a, a utility designator certification program that folks can uh, include into their training and then get people certified on a national level. So we can all look at people kind of the same way. Um, various companies have different levels, whether you're a tech one, tech two, tech three, but what you call a tech one might be different than how I define a tech one. Um, so, so this will make things more uniform uh, and be able to have folks that are that are qualified nationally. So what did, what, what would the, uh, this program look like? Like what, what, what would be the process? The intent is just just to get this thing so that all of us are, are rating people and viewing folks the same way, as well as to get them paid what, what they're what they're worth. And so now we can pay people equally yeah. some uh, poaching from other companies. So now that one company is, has trained someone and, and spent the time and effort, but now someone's gonna offer them a couple dollars more so they, so they leave. So it definitely makes it a challenge. It's making the, it's helping the industry maybe to, uh, with the competition that's out there for the, for the good human, the, the right human capital. Again, there's a lot of folks out there that, um, just don't have the SUV mindset. And while they say they're a locator, right, which is not, not the, the term that SUE uses, but they're not used to uh, approaching projects with an SUE mindset and that engineering mindset. They're not used to marking all the different types of utilities, uh, sweeping for unknowns, um, doing a thorough investigation uh, like an SUE firm would do. Have you heard of any projects that this has uh, impacted them? That they're that they've been uh, as a result utility strikes or uh, uh, utility relocations. I don't have any specific examples, but I have I have attended some conferences where where this type of stuff has been mentioned, which again is part of the reason for getting this sort of certification program going. Who who at the end is liable for their skill set for the for the people's skill set? Well, I guess depending on what happens, the project owner can could possibly go after the sue firm. Uh, they might have to, they, they might go after the person that um, created the damage. I guess, you know, it all depends on the scenario. So 
it could be a variety of people. Um, but, but one of the things is that you don't want to end up in court and having, uh, an expert witness type person come at you to make sure that, uh, you have, you have all your standard operating procedures in process and, and the guys have been, uh, instructed accordingly. Could, the uh the project owners come after the, uh, the locators personally, but they would come after the engineer who stamped the project. So, so the guy who sealed it really, really needs to make sure that the field people are, are covering the company and his tail, but by documenting things accordingly, investigating everything, um, relaying notes, uh, I believe in the new 3822, something called a utility report is going to be part of the deliverable may reference a certain utility where field findings differed greatly, uh, area was under construction, uh, structures were inaccessible. So you say something to cover your tail on why you couldn't resolve the area. You know, I think that uh, quality human capital is a huge challenge for, for our industry. I think there's also a lack of, I'd say it's a communication or misalignment of interest between all the stakeholders in the industry. And I feel that there's, it's, it's very tough nowadays for any stakeholder to uh, to collect utility data from the utility owners. I would agree. Um, we often have to contact an owner multiple times. And a lot of times what folks will give us are just the GIS grade type information, such as a shape file, which, uh, a lot of time it has a lot of, a lot of information, line size, material type might have the date installed, but it's very, it's very rough. Um, Sometimes you might just get a screen capture of, of GIS data, which, which is not very helpful. What can you do with that? Um, yeah. So, so we really have to be persistent. And after we receive the record, somebody needs to review it and look at it and say, is, is this good enough? Really? Cause our field guys need more than that. It's a challenge to go out there and designate all these utilities, especially in a congested area. So we have to ask for construction drawings as built, any other type of drawing they may have. And we have to make sure we do our due diligence and if we don't get anything, so be it, but we've tried. Sometimes utility owners will, will help you out. Others won't. I'm going to quote somebody and I, I don't remember the exact reference, but they said GIS stands for get it surveyed, which <laughs> I think is a great, uh, is, 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 I like is that. a great comment. Very appropriate. And again, no, no knock to the GIS folks, but for those of us who are trying to map utilities at a very high accurate level, uh, GIS grade information isn't always the best. Why, why do you think it's like that, that it's so difficult to obtain the, the data from the utility owners? I guess it's probably multiple things. Staffing is probably an issue. Um, some of these companies probably get bombarded with requests. So they just spit out whatever's easiest to, to get that person off their back. I'm sure there's some utility owners who just don't have very accurate records. So they give you what they give you and, and that's all they can do. So. I think it's a combination of things. Do you think that the, they should be more liable to the outcomes of their quality of data, so to speak? Depending on, on how it impacts the project, I think that's certainly something that needs to be looked at. If there's a utility owner that has um, plastic utilities or something that, that's not typical and very hard to locate, if lines have some crazy configurations that you wouldn't normally see, I think that's something that probably would be discussed if, if it got to, to court. Hey, it's not reasonable for our folks to have found this considering the information we were provided and considering how it was installed. You know, the utility owners, I think they should have some, some more responsibility in, in the process, but 
you know, they are up with the challenge because there's a generation of pipelines uh, that has just been undocumented and there's a challenge for them to go out and just maintain the records. The flow lines here in Texas are very typical. Texas has the Railroad Commission, which is a great resource, but it hasn't been the law for them to record flow lines. Sometimes you might see them laying on the ground. They might be pretty shallow. A lot of time they're steel, so they're fairly easy to pick up, but somebody needs to do a thorough investigation because they might not run on a typical alignment. They might run on an angle and then curve and turn and, and do something crazy. It's good for Sioux folks though, because if you know what you're doing, you're going to find them. So it's good job security for people like me. Definitely a challenge. Like I say, the Railroad Commission does a great job. The majority of their information that I've uh, used on projects, their information has been anywhere from very close to almost right on the money. Again, here in Texas, especially in the western part of the state, uh, those flow lines are everywhere. In fact, I was just uh, on a project in the eastern part of the state in an older town where there was wells in town, wells in neighborhoods. And the city utility director told me that when we were doing our investigation to look for their water lines or other utilities, that we may come across some of these flow and, and gathering lines that were undocumented. How do these uh, undocumented utilities impact uh, the utility coordination whilst we're in a project? What are the implications? If, uh, if the Sioux folks are able to trace it out to a known and identify at least the, the owner or the type, then that's a big deal. But sometimes you might just trace a line and lose the signal and you might not be able to trace it from a known point to a known point. So then in the utility coordination meetings, you've got to hope that somebody steps up and say, oh, that could be our line. It could be active, it could be abandoned, uh, definitely slows down the process. From your experience in the projects in you, that you've been involved in recently, how, how does that look like? A utility record interpretation is critical when folks review it. Uh, a lot of times it might get a shape file from an owner and then they just reference that in to, to some mapping. It was something like a, a stub on a gas line. I recently was on a project where uh, the gas owner had four or five stubs coming off his line. And uh, for whatever reason, the GIS, when it got overlaid, the stubs didn't come in. Those things would be very hard to find in the field. So during construction, it's possible those could get missed and a stub sticking out could easily be something that a contractor would hit. That's why it's really important that somebody does a good QA and make sure they compare the records with what gets delivered to note those things. And even though the accuracy of that stub might not be very good, to show that then, then you, you've done your due diligence and that now it's up to the, to the project owners to, to do their part and maybe get a test hole on it uh, or do something to excavate very cautiously in those areas. I feel that recently when we talk, mainly with contractors, they're very concerned about uh, the amount of test holes that they need to do because a lot of times it exceeds their budget. So how, how do you think that they should be uh, that they should be tackling this issue? I think there's a lot of younger engineers. I, I've had folks ask me for holes on um, streetlight lines, just small, you know, secondary electric cables, or on gravity systems. Really, to me, it's up to the supervisor to educate that person to say, I don't think you need a hole on this. This isn't critical. Or we can use inverts and we can calculate the depth of your storm line or your sanitary line and save you the money on the test hole. So part of it, I think, is just education to whether it's on the engineer's end, they're taught better, you know, in their schooling, some of that stuff is starting to happen, or, or whether it's on the supervisor's end 
to educate the client and not just take their money. The challenge of education of the industry, I think, is also becoming very big. Like, I think that its importance has skyrocketed. And in recent com industry conferences, we're seeing everyone talking about education. But a lot of times we feel like to the other stakeholders, it just doesn't get to them, like the importance of soup. And again, I think it's, it's a financial thing. A lot of these utility owners are just not ready for it financially. They're not used to uh, designing projects, having to have this information. And while I think they, they certainly see the benefit, uh, it's the financial end that they really struggle with. So making sure you choose the right quality level. There's a lot of other things too. So uh, structure identification, that's definitely a problem in the industry. Not to knock on surveyors, but a lot of time you might get a topographic survey where they've called a structure just a green box or unknown utility structure. Yeah. That kind of stuff is really important. You could have a, a CEV that's a very expensive phone structure to relocate where someone might just call it a pedestal or a phone cabinet. I was just out in Nevada where they have a lot of backflow preventers and they're above ground and they have a large green cabinet over top of it. Some of them look similar to, to a transformer. And some of the information that we got from a survey firm was calling them all transformers. If you're just in the, the level C and D phase and you try and, you know, you compare the records to structures that are incorrect, that makes it tough for everybody. What do you think of the baby steps that maybe, although it's uh, very difficult for the utility owners to, let's call it, get up to date on this, but uh, what do you think of the baby steps that maybe they can take to go in the right direction? It's education, whether it's on their end or and the people they hire, as well as uh, updating records so, so records are, are, are better. And so these kind of questions don't get asked during the design phase. The field investigation really, when it comes to the supervisor's end, is super critical. So I was just on a job where crews found a fiber optic conduit in a storm system. That wasn't shown on anybody's records. Um, in fact, a piece of it hadn't even been documented wow. after they ended up tracing it out. We just had a big project, a 15 mile long project where a utility owner showed two fiber lines running the length of the job. Well, our folks never found any structures, no marker posts. They swept, they looked all over and never found anything. And we just, we kept scratching our heads and we got back to the owner and said, you know, Hey, you show these two fiber lines. And they said, Oh yeah, they're proposed. <laughs> and so, so, so we had, we had provided those Future project. on our level C and D yeah, on our level C and D deliverable, and they were definitely going to impact some of their road improvements. Uh, but then when we got to level B, we found out that they were just proposed. How often has that happened to you? Not a lot, but, but it happens. This was a smaller rural uh, owner, so kind of understandable. Uh, it was in a KMZ file, which actually had some pretty good data. But again, on a, in a KMZ, so we still just had a GIS grade. They didn't really show the way lines tied into structures very good. You know, some crazy kind of line work, some some Z type line work and stuff that you know that cables just aren't doing. Yeah, the fact that they had it on a KMZ and not in a hard copy or in a PDF is uh, is is a good start, uh, first of all. But uh, it's it would have been nice to know. Uh, before you get the guys in the field uh, to go back and forth to know what they're actually looking for. Well, no doubt. And now something that, that's pretty typical is a lot of time we have to ask for a legend, but there wasn't anything that, that said proposed on their legend. So they just gave us all the codes for active 
and, and existing lines, but nothing for proposed uh, or inactive. Yeah. Going back to uh, you talking about uh, Colorado, do you think that more states should be uh, following in their footsteps? I would love for that to happen. I've heard rumors that there are a couple states that are that are heading that way. I think Colorado, unfortunately, was forced to because of some major accidents. Yeah, the and gas. So you certainly don't want to see that happen for a law to come into effect. But maybe the success of what's happening in Colorado. Uh, we'll let things spread more naturally so that other states adopt that. We've heard from Sioux firms that the, the problem with the regulation in Colorado is that there's a challenge of enforcement, making sure that we're, we're actually keeping records. What, what would you say to that? Well, I, I, I gave a presentation a couple of years ago to a city out there, and they were tough to convince that, that Sioux was needed. They had not had major accidents and such, and they'd been... They'd been getting by, even though they had uh, experienced some issues, they were just having a hard time really saying, well, in the past, you know, we've only maybe spent $20,000 on something like this. And now because the way the law is written, it's going to cost us 200000 So that was the biggest struggle is, is for them to figure out how they were going to get that money into their budgets, especially with jobs that were already there and already been budgeted. So for new jobs, I think they could compensate, but for jobs that are already in the pipeline, that, that was a challenge for them. Yeah. You know, in, in general, I think that the regulation itself, I think it's, it's also an educational move. It's also kind of saying to the industry, guys, this is uh, the standard that we're going to be upholding for now. And it's acting as some sort of example for the other states to, to follow. Even if there are challenges and even if the system isn't perfect yet, I think that it's definitely something that... Uh, uh, other states should be should be following in their footsteps. When we look, for example, at uh, what TechStart is doing, they're having uh, Sue being done on uh, on projects. I think it's also there's there's a statement there, right? Yeah, well, TechStart is a great example. I mean, there's there's a bunch of the DOTs that have that have accepted and, and used Sue very successfully for a long, long time. I've heard that, that there's some states, though, who don't feel that way. I guess they've had some bad experiences. Whether it's the law or just it can happen naturally, I don't know. It, it definitely needs to happen. There may be folks that, like at the Sioux Association, you know, the group out of Virginia or D.C. Yeah. there that uh, is more involved in lobbying. Uh, hopefully, maybe those folks can, can get something pushed through. Yeah. We've been uh, in the last CGA convention. Uh, they were talking about it a lot. Like, how, how do we lobby uh, for our industry. And by the way, I think that the CGA is doing a great job telling the, telling the industry story. I agree. I, th I think those folks have a tough challenge. Again, it's just not one of the, the things on politicians' priority list is, is utility mapping. To, to explain the implications uh, of the challenge, I think is like it, it's, it's another challenge entirely. Most certainly. It, it is tough to educate them. And unfortunately, it's just not high in their priority list, even though year after year, the country gets grades for infrastructure are terrible. Well, you would think that would get somebody's attention, but nothing seems to have changed much over the last 20, 50 years, I guess, even. Maybe with the, the new infrastructure bill, there'll maybe be some change to that. Let's hope that that would be great. It certainly is needed. Yeah. More on the field end uh, to, to, to help projects is the documentation that, that, that our guys uh, collect, whether they use a field sketch or however they collect it, but noting things such as areas under construction or manholes inaccessible or full of debris or that um, field findings are greatly different than what records show. Um, 
I think relaying a lot of this information to project owners can definitely help them avoid clicks and, and damages. So, uh, so some of it to help these folks, like you were kind of asking, what can we, what can we do to help these folks? Some of it's on, 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 on our end and, and to make sure we provide them uh, with all the stuff the field guys see out there, you know, uh, street view and stuff is great, but having boots on the ground nothing really like tells it. you what's going on out there. There's no substitute um, to boots so, so on that, the ground. That, there, there, there is no substitute, and we really need to do that to uh, to cover our tail, to cover the tail of those who are stamping uh, the information uh, that's being used for design. Yeah, I think when we talk to uh, you know, the guys who are doing the initial packaging of utility data, uh, just basically collecting the, collecting the records. Well, sometimes the interpretation is, is not accurate to say the least, because they weren't, they weren't there. They weren't boots on the ground. And sometimes like, even if you do street view low, so the, the imagery on street view is six months old and, and you haven't taken into account changes that have happened since in the records and in the, and in the street view. So I think uh, going back to what you said, there's just, uh, we're always gonna need someone to do field investigating. Sure, sure. Well, and then, it, you know, if you talk about just the, the level C and D um, deliverables, um, you need someone who's putting, putting uh, a CAD person who's putting that information together who understands utilities. Um, you know, we've had stuff to come in, some shape files that come in where the gas line might be running through all the houses in the neighborhood instead of in the right of way, you know, behind the curb or in the street. You need people to, to, to attach some logic to that information. We all know it's going to go from point A to point B, but how we depict it is really important too. To give um, context. So, so that's, again, is critical to have, have good CAD people. Um, some firms have, have taken people from the field and put them into CAD. So whether they have Sioux or, and or survey experience, then those people uh, really do well. Uh, it's, a, it's an additional set of eyes looking at looking at your at your product to, to raise a question or, or to shift something to make it you know look more correct there's a, just like you're saying that the huge significance in taking someone to do uh, to do the CAD work uh, and make sure that it's someone who's sometimes been in the field or at least someone who understands the uh, the needs of the stakeholders in the industry because just drawing lines on the map that's not that's not what the work is, right? It's uh, like we're trying to give people context to what's happening in the field. We're trying to help project owners design. We're trying to help the GCs uh, build in, in a safe manner. And I think that's why it's just so important to have these, uh, to have professionals doing this work. Well, and again, back to the, the, the talent pool then. So now to find CAD folks who have uh, a utility background, uh, they're equally, equally hard to find and I'm, I'm not sure what we do about finding more people like that. I, I know that there, there are uh, some colleges are starting to offer some more utility related courses. I think that's heading in the right direction, but there's still a, a lot of a lot of need out there. Yeah, definitely. Our, our industry, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, is full of challenges. Like there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of things that we need to improve. And then there's even some technologies out now, such as you guys that are, that are supplementing the industry nicely. GPR has come a long way. I just saw, um, a presentation the other day about locators, a simulator. So now you can, you can train people and you can set up different scenarios. They don't have to go in the wow. field. Um, so, so there's a lot of things coming out, uh, now that, that are definitely going to help the industry. 
you know, we're seeing so many, so many advancements in, uh, uh, in other industries or uh, just a good example. We're seeing lots of great, great technologies and vertical uh, construction. And I think, you know, in, in our world where it's mainly, mainly linear and mainly these large infrastructure projects, I think there's just, uh, there's so much that innovation can do for our industry. And there's like, there's endless uh, uh, challenges, which for me equals opportunities. I agree. I agree. It's job security though, currently. So uh, it's not necessarily a real bad Yeah, thing. definitely. But we definitely, definitely like there's work, there's, work to be, there's work to be done. So Glenn, if, uh, um, if you could give one piece of advice to uh, a young and uh, Sue engineer that's uh, going to follow in, uh, in your footsteps, what would it be? What, what would you think that they should be focusing on right now? Um, I think if, if it, you're talking about a young PE, I think it would be good for them to get a little field time, go out in the field for a week and, and work with crews. So you get a, a little bit better feel of reality. Uh, sometimes looking at a record is very easy to just say, well, things are black and white and this, why are you having an issue? It should be very clear. Um, be great for folks to get out in the field for a little bit and work with crews and, and, and see, um, see some of the conditions and see how difficult the job can be. Yeah. I think that there's uh, well, you know, it, it happens in every uh, line of work where there's field work and there's uh, desk work. There's a lot of times this disconnect between what's actually happening for the guys that are boots on the ground and what's happening for the guys that are sitting, uh, uh, don't mean to offend anyone, but are sitting under the neon lights and uh, making decisions from there. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, occasionally I've seen some folks do it. I understand, you know, they went to school for four years and they, 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 they don't want to be out, uh, out in the street, but, uh, it's needed. It's needed. The Bambi conference that I just attended down here at university of Texas at Arlington. And, uh, the class was probably half PEs and it was very good one day. So, um, there was eight or 10 of us in the class that, that were Sioux folks and we were able to take them out along the campus and, and, um, show them how, how we designate and some of the issues we right. run into. And, and it was great that these people were willing to do that. And it was real eye opener for them. Wow. Uh, I think, I think we need more, more initiatives, uh, like that. I think it needs to be part of the program. I education. I agree. I agree. We got to push education more. Yeah. Um, Glenn, one last, one last question. Um, I asked this all, all our guests, uh, who do you think is the next person that we should have on our show? <laughs> Have you interviewed any of the guys with the Sioux Association? There's uh, a guy named John Berrettini who might be real good. Very, very well educated. John Campbell, one of, one of Jim's counterparts. Yeah. I think Ophir had an episode with him. He I'll, did? Make, okay. I'll, okay. I'll make sure. He's, he, he's really good. He was, it was Jim and John that, that taught this BAMI course. And, uh, uh, John had a lot of good input too. Uh, so, uh, we'll make sure to reach out to them and, uh, have them on. Okay. Yeah. They, they would both be good. Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, very much appreciated. Lots of very good insights. Uh, and thanks for giving back to the industry.